Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled you can join us today. We are going to be talking about hoarding and how that can really impact decision-making at a lot of different levels and all the different types of hoarding that you might not even be aware of that exists. But my guess is almost everybody knows somebody out there that they believe has a little bit too much stuff. So um, before I introduce our guest today, uh, I always like to just introduce Alzheimer's Speaks Radio because we're always getting new listeners and who we are and what we're about. My own mom lived with dementia for 30 years, so I totally um, understand where you're sitting and, and what you're going through in that 30 years. We went through a lot of different things. In fact, my mom was kind of a hoarder. Um, I remember going through her linen closet and she, I, I stopped counting at a hundred washcloths. <laughs> and so um, I'm going to find this, uh, this conversation fascinating, but Alzheimer's Speaks is really about sound information, not just sound bites. We want to have real conversations with real people in order to raise awareness of all the different types of dementias and new ones uh, and new titles are cropping up all the time. So it's really important for us to hear not only from the people being diagnosed, but their families, businesses, advocates, researchers, and so much more because there are a lot of resources out there that can help people. Um, for example, um, you might not know about uh, Picnic Health. Picnic Health is a new Alzheimer's research uh, project. And um, what they do is they collect and digitize all of your medical records into one online account. And then you can consent to have your information anonymized and shared with medical researchers. And they will go in and examine this real world data from your records. And they can find answers to questions that aren't always found in clinical trials. So you can go to picnichealth.com forward slash speaks. Again, that's picnichealth.com forward slash speaks and sign up. And you'll actually get paid $25 for doing that. And if you have um, a loved one that you're caring for that you have um, legal authority to do, you can sign them up as well. Now, given that COVID is still hanging on, um, another new variant popping up again, I want to make sure that I cover um, and, and um, welcome you to attend two support groups that I do. One is Arthur's Memory Cafe, which is virtual, and we do that the second and the fourth Wednesday of each month, and anyone is welcome to join us on that. 
and uh, just reach out to me and I can get you more information. Memory cafes are for people with dementia as well as their care partners. And then that is being sponsored by Arthur Senior Care. And then I do an in-person uh, support group for care partners that's sponsored by Brookdale North Oaks and the Shoreview Parks and Rec Center here in Shoreview, Minnesota. And we try to meet in person, uh, but the last two we've done virtual, so we'll have to wait and see. And we meet the last Wednesday of each month at 10 o'clock um, Central Time, 10 to 11. And if, you know, things are still booming with the virus, we will be meet, meeting virtual again. And then, of course, that is open to, to anyone to join us. Um, what else do I want to tell you? Dementia Map. If you haven't visited uh, the map, go to it. It's a global resource directory. There are tons of great resources there, and we're adding more every day, especially in the activities section when, you know, a lot of our adult day programs and respite programs have gone by the wayside due to COVID. There's lots of great engagement tools there, but so much more. We have 150 different categories that you can um, search and um you know, please help us spread the word on that. If you are a business with a service product or tool, maybe you have a YouTube channel or a blog, or maybe you have done some um, some videos, written a book, any of those types of things are also welcome. And we have some people living with dementia that have great resources as, as well as family members and business professionals themselves. Uh, for example, all authors are on there and they have over 300 authors that have a variety of great information there. If you visit our calendar of events, you'll see that there's quite a few different events um, that uh, many are free. And uh, right now there's quite a few for like exercise in different types of movement programs that you can, uh, that you can sign up for. But I want to introduce you to the foot bar walker and the adaptive equipment and caregiver corner our therapists and they've kind of critiqued the walker. So let's hear from them and then I'll be back to introduce our guest. I love the foot bar walker and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. I love that foot bar walker. It really is so very helpful. Well, let me introduce you to our guests. Like I said, we are going to be talking about hoarding today. And 
hoarding impacts so many people and so many processes in our life. And um, so I thought, well, let's talk to somebody who deals with that. So today we have with us Dr. Ann Meyerson, who is a senior real estate specialist, a transition counselor, and an expert in hoarding. She specializes in assisting seniors and their families to develop and implement a successful plan to help both with the psychology as well as the physical components involved in the entire move process. And this is really um, near and dear to my own heart because I was in residential real estate for 25 years and um, saw a little bit of everything. And again, today we're going to be for focusing on hoarding, which a lot of people don't understand. And it could mean something a little bit different to everybody. And the actual definition of hoarding disorder is when it interferes with everyday functioning. Did you know it's believed to affect between 2 and 4% of our population? I didn't. Needless to say, dealing with COVID has added even more complications to this whole process. So I'm really glad that we are going to be having this uh, talk about this really relative um, topic today. So thank you, Anne, for joining us. I'm excited to uh, to kind of go down the rabbit hole on this one with you and, and learn from, from your expertise. Well, it's been a trial by error for me, but thank you. <laughs> Well, good. Um, I always like to ask my guests one question before we get started, and that is, have you been personally touched in your own family or circle of friends by dementia? I think primarily I have been influenced through the work that I do with seniors in real estate, and that's really what got me so fascinated and involved with this issue, I think. Okay. I came across hoarding quite a bit, and I realized that there wasn't much being done about it in the real estate community and to help the families. So that's why I became involved. Okay. I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I know when I sold for 25 years, I ran into it um, much more often than I thought, and um, it was kind of shocking at the, the variety out there. Um of, of types of hoarding and how it actually impacts people's lives. So um, one thing I want to clarify in this show before we get into deep is hoarding isn't just for people with dementia. Hoarding affects all kinds of people at all different statuses, all different cultures. So um, this is not a dementia-specific topic, um, but it definitely can add to the whole process when dementia is uh, it, you know, comes into play with this as well. So, Anne, let's talk first about you describe yourself as a real estate um, transitionist and, you know, helping seniors and their families with this process. What do you do differently from, from other agents out there? Well, I, I think I have a different end goal. I mean, sometimes during this, we do do a real estate transaction, and sometimes I sort of put on the hat of a counselor, and we work with the family, and we try to make the situation safe and comfortable for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. So that's primarily what I do. Um, I give an example of 
if you clean up a hoarder's house, some you was called in, you clean up a hoarder's house, you have to have some kind of psychological intervention because it's more than just a physical cleanup. And I think that's what people aren't quite aware of. They think they clean out the house and the problem will go away and it doesn't work that way. Yep. Yeah. The well, problem and it's, continues. Well, and it's really difficult to clear out when everything, you know, to them is a need, you know, it's a must have, you know, type process. And so it can be, I mean, really stressful and frustrating. And I would imagine people can get angry and upset. And when you include different family members, I know even with my, my own mother's house, she had a lot of stuff. I don't know if I would call her a hoarder per se, um, in terms of people seeing piles and things like that, because uh, I, I saw that myself in, in homes where literally you had a path from one room to the next, and and that was it. And even well, that's clear one off. of the mm-hmm. the obvious signs, Lori, and it also depends on what stage of hoarding they're in, and what kind of hoarding they're doing, because there are differences between random hoarding and mm-hmm. purposeful hoarding. And okay. during COVID, as you mentioned, it's becoming much more evident in senior populations as I go into some of their condos and homes. Okay. Well, let's talk about the difference between random hoarding and purposeful hoarding, and then we can get maybe get into the stages. Okay. And I, I think a good way is for me to give you some examples of what is considered purposeful hoarding as opposed mm-hmm. to random hoarding. Okay. Um. A case that I have now is clearly random hoarding. Everything is just all over the place. It's disorganized. It's interfering with the family getting along with their life. But there's no for why there is all these all these different materials and items around there. So that is kind of random. Purposeful hoarding is where you may be, quote, unquote, collecting something, and you think that, you are helping the situation when, in fact, it's it's not really all that relevant. I had a gentleman who was retired, actually, sportscaster, and he would collect the paper from those old adding machines. You know how you used to have the mm-hmm. adding machines and you punched in the numbers and there was a roll of paper? For some reason, when I went to sell his house, he had stacks and stacks of these adding machine papers all over mm-hmm. the place. But to him, that was a purpose. Well, he might need to use his calculator again, so just in case he had all, all these supplies. And that's mm-hmm. the difference between purposeful and random. He, he thought there was a reason why he was doing this. And to him, it was a reason, I guess, you know. And so we, he, he had a difficult time. He had a warehouse stored up by his house with all these things in it, mm-hmm. which actually had no no purpose anymore. Okay. So if that explains the difference a little bit. Um, okay. And it also depends on how invo- involved it is, too, and as you w- were saying, whether it actually interferes with someone's life existence mm-hmm. or whether they can kind of manipulate around it. Mm-hmm. And and don't you think, I mean, one of the things that I found, too, was, um, you know, kind of with the greater generation who had been through the Depression and things like that, they seemed to hoard a little bit more, not all, 
but um, in terms of that generation, because they were worried they were going to run out or, um, or it was free, so they're going to take it, or it was on sale, so they buy it now to save right. money because of that experience. Yeah, um, BOGOs don't help much. <laughs> but I always, I always found that that was something that um, they, that they used in terms of that's why, you know, that's why I have this stuff. And you know, when you have a family and everybody's around, you kind of go through it. But it can become a habit as kids grow up and leave the house, and you're still your purchasing habits haven't changed. Or um, I would imagine even loneliness can can come into that. Uh, that phrase too. Now you had talked about um, different stages within these. Can you give us some ideas on that? Well, it, it's very interesting. If you go to the literature on hoarding, which I obviously you know look at quite frequently, they have a lot of people have identified the five different stages of hoarding, and it's really to me like a to-do list of cleaning up with hoarding. Mm-hmm. But nowhere in there does that discuss the psychological reasons behind the hoarding. So the to-do list checkouts to clear things up. If if someone is just beginning to have issues, possibly a family member can go in there and help them. What I see that happens, though, a lot of times is I don't get called in until the hoarding has become pretty severe because mm-hmm. that's that's when the people have to move or the family says, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I had one one gentleman who was living in a condo with his wife. We moved her to a memory care unit, and there he was in the house with all the, this condo with all these things, and we couldn't get him to clear up the things so that he could join her in the assisted living. And I believe mm-hmm. in this case, it was this was his refuge. No, I have to be here with these things. Mm-hmm. And... It, it was that sense of a false security that was interfering with his lifestyle. He needed to, to get on with his life and he needed to move out of that, that condo, which unfortunately was not healthy to be in, which is also what happens a lot in hoarding. The people are living in situations that are, that are not healthy in terms of mm-hmm. germs, sanitation, safety, you know, tripping, et cetera. So those are the stages that you have to look for. When does it become that apparent that it's interfering with, with life functioning. Mm-hmm. Well, and in this case, you had um, basically one covering for the other. And maybe maybe it wasn't just one with the hoarding problem. Maybe it was both that he felt he had to protect that, too. I don't know. What are your thoughts on uh, that? He is still living. I haven't been in touch with him in a while, but the last I checked in on him, he's still living on his own in in a condo and the social mm-hmm. worker I'm working with would like to move him also, but he can't give up those things. So what he's really mm-hmm. saying to us is I'm not ready to make a change. Yep. You know, I'm going to hold on to my false security. Yeah. And it could be so that think- he's, he's let go of his wife. She's moved because of, you know, safety reasons. And, and maybe that's a piece of her, or maybe that's a piece of him you know, it's hard to it's hard to know those things because it really, like you said, it really is an emotional piece. Um, and you know, if someone's not talking to you in terms of the whys or doesn't even know why, it's kind of I, I would think it's really difficult in knowing how to deal with all of that. Other than people have the right to choice too. And uh, well, I, I I think a lot of it, Lori, is a lot of it is depression. 
mm-hmm. seems to me in a lot of the cases that I deal with, the people are truly depressed. They're mm-hmm. frightened. They're depressed. You know, I don't know any real joyous hoarders. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't go that <laughs> way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I had a very... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, can I give you an... I had a very interesting example where I was called in. Um, they were moving mom to assisted living and the adult kids, a lot of times I work with the adult kids, called mm-hmm. me in to see if I could help. Well, what mm-hmm. had happened, and it kind of gives me chills to talk about this, is she had a two-bedroom condo. And a while ago, mom's daughter had been living with her. So when I came in, the daughter had passed away five, six years earlier. But mom had never touched anything in that bedroom. Mm-hmm. It was just the way it was when she left. And there were piles of all her toys, her stuffed animals, um, books, photographs she had collected. And this was a specific hoarding in the sense that mom couldn't transition because she was worried about leaving those things in the memories of her daughter. Mm-hmm. So what we what we did, if I can throw out a solution here, um, was we made her a memory book. Of, of all these pictures and all the possessions that her daughter had. And we put, and I bound it, and there were pictures of her, her in it, her daughter in it, and all the things that had been saved. And when she got that memory book, she felt comfortable that she could then move and take those things with her. Okay. So that was the way we approached that. Okay. Well, that's, she moved, that's good. Yeah, so that's the kind of, you know, it, but that's a physical and a psychological solution at the same time, mm-hmm. you know. And she did make the transition. And usually I think I am called in a lot of times when things are pretty, pretty, Lori, they're pretty serious by the time they bring in a hoarding specialist, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean. Yep, yep. And I, I usually just go in as Dr. Ann, a friend, and I chit-chat and talk and everything, but the whole time, I'm looking around and seeing what's there and what are we going to do about it. And I have a team of people who have specifically been trained to be very, very gentle about Mm -hmm. how they interact with people and how they do the cleanup. Because you don't want people to see them throwing away things that they think have value to them. They can't handle it. Yep. Yep. So. Yeah, I, I like um, I like the picture book. I know when I was selling, um, sometimes we would take certain pieces like when, and this might not be specific to a hoarding thing, but again, it's that psychological base where they don't use all their good dishes, So, but maybe they still drink tea and keeping a teacup and saucer, you know, are too prevalent. So it reminds them of all the good things that they had in their life and then can pass the rest on to family member or cell or whatever, you know, whatever the, the choice is. Um, yeah. It's letting go. It's mm-hmm. letting go. Yeah. That's what yep. it is. And the one thing I stress a lot in working with hoarders, and this is advice that I give out, uh, be kind, be passionate because these are people who are suffering mm-hmm. and you can't be turned off to the situation and just, see it's clutter why is this happening and what can we do to make a more comfortable lifestyle for these people and not to embarrass them Mm -hmm. that's very critical not to not to embarrass them because of a hoarding situation 
Yeah. You know, with my mom, in the intro, I mentioned, you know, I thought I'd start it on my mom and dad's house in the linen closet because I thought, what harm could that do? And I was, I got exhausted just sorting through because there was, there were brand new washcloths to rags that should be in the garage or tossed, you know, and I, I couldn't understand, I couldn't understand it. There was just two of them in the house. They didn't need that many. And my, and my mom, you know, had gone through the depression and she said, well, we just didn't throw anything out. And, you know, your dad might need that. And I'm like, well, then that's fine. Then put it in dad's area. <laughs> the you know, that was, that was my thought. And I was um, not as educated, you know, on this whole process and stuff. And, and my mom had, um, oh gosh, books and uh, magazines. And um, she had, in the basement, you know, where no one really went. She still was collecting toilet paper rolls and paper towel rolls because we used them when we were kids and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts for crafts, you know. Right. right. And and so, you know, my dad would sneak that stuff out. and um, it, But it was just interesting, those patterns. And it was probably a sign for her with her dementia that we didn't catch, you know, at that at that stage because well, it wasn't a rational conversation of we don't need these anymore. And even for no, our grandchildren, no. we're collecting our own, you know, <laughs> um, for those types of things. Yes. And I think a lot of times that the, the people that are hoarders, they don't even think of themselves as hoarders. That doesn't mm-hmm. even occur. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a really poignant story that I wanted to share with you. It's, about someone who was a hoarder, a particular kind of hoarder, and while they were not a senior, they were clearly experiencing um, some psychological implications to the hoarding. Mm-hmm. I was called into a house where where the mother and the daughter were living. The daughter mm-hmm. had been a ballerina in New York City. Mm-hmm. Lovely gal. She was she was not a, a senior. She was in her in her 40s, but obviously, and and the mother had some issues. So after the mother passed away, I went into the house to see what was going on there. There was a three-bedroom house. In one of the bedrooms, there there were designer shoes piled up to the ceiling Mm -hmm. in a big stack, not in boxes, just designer shoes thrown in a big pile. And I walked into the bedroom, and I looked around, and I said to myself, what do I say to her? I didn't want to upset this this woman. She had lost her mother. We were trying to sell her house. And here we were with all this clutter. And it was Mm -hmm. purposeful. It was all designer shoes. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it. And we worked on trying to get them into groups where they could be organized, et cetera, et cetera. And when I was relaying this story to someone, they brought up a very good point, which really was an eye-opener to me. She wore, this woman wore none of these designer shoes, Lori. They were just in there in a random stack. Mm-hmm. She had been dancing um, for years in New York and had been, you know, with one of the, the main, main ballets. During the process, a lot of ballerinas wreck their feet. Mm-hmm. And they can't wear ordinary shoes. I, I, yep. I don't know if you knew that. They break their toes and that kind yep. of thing. Yep. So what she did where she went out and bought all these designer shoes that she could never wear. Mm. But she hoarded them 
you know, and that was not just, that's a real example of a sense of loss and sadness and, you know, making, making a tough transition, not only from leaving her mother's home, but the reality that these shoes were useless to her. Yeah. Useless to her. Yeah. And that's, that's, Yeah, they had meaning to her, but it was a lost, a lost meaning. She couldn't wear Mm -hmm. them and never did wear them. Yep. So Courtney takes all kinds of different, different channels. You know, you see it. And every time I think I've seen it all, something else happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do know if, if you work slowly with people and you give a lot of empathy and you have to bring in, a lot of times you have to call in, medical people, uh, trained clinicians who can help because there are usually other other symptoms and other psychological trauma that are piled on with the hoarding. The hoarding is not the whole issue. It's almost symptomatic of some other things. Yeah. Well, and the so. anxiety levels can be so high. Just, I mean, you don't want somebody having a heart attack over all of this stuff either. Um, I had one person, and I would imagine you've seen this, where I had I had one person, um, this goes way back when I was selling real estate. I had to meet with her, I, I bet it was five or six times, like at a Perkins, she wouldn't let me in her house until she truly felt confident and that she could trust me because she was so embarrassed of her house. And um, so we met, we discussed transitions and how they work and what would be the easiest format for her and her roommate. And, um, you know, the the roommate was blind in the house when I got in there. Literally, there were paths. I mean, you couldn't even wear a big coat because it would just knock knock stuff off. And um, convince them to move first. Let's pick the stuff that's important and get you moved into your new place and then they hired a company to come in and go through all their stuff. But the the shame was so large that they um, they wouldn't get a dumpster for the house. And so they actually had this company. They cleaned out the whole house. They got everything moved out into the garage. That company came back twice a week um, to pull oh, no. the garbage yeah. cans out. So that nobody would know how much stuff was. They didn't want their neighbors to know how much stuff they had in that house. And wow. the neighbors all bet. knew because they were gone for months. I was going to say the neighbors knew anyhow, of course. Yeah. Yep. But they but they felt the neighbors didn't know. And um, but it was just a, it was really quite the process, you know, to go through. And I think that was. Because I had dealt with quite a few of them, but that was the one where I just, the emotions were all over the table, the different layers and, and levels of it all. And um, and then the judgment that they knew right. was happening right. um, was really significant, a, a really significant piece in their decision-making uh, process. Do you find that for people that you're working with as well? Definitely, definitely. It, it, this happens, and uh, I'm surprised that the, the cleanup worked for them because many times the cleanup doesn't even work mm-hmm. in, unless they really, you know, unless they really have some psychological intervention. Because I, I kind of think all this reality TV show stuff 
gives people the impression that it's kind of humorous or something and you can come Mm -hmm. in and clean up and everything will be fine. And that's not true. That's not true at all. Um, And that's, and that's pretty serious. I had one woman, a friend said to me, could I help her friend move? And her friend was a hoarder and they didn't know what to do with the stuff so she could move. Mm -hmm. And I, I, from what I understand, um, you see hoarding as one of the preliminary signs of things that as it develops further into Alzheimer's or dementia gets more serious. And I said, I don't think this woman should be living on her own mm-hmm. because I could tell it was going to get worse. And the friend actually got got annoyed. She said, well, she's perfectly fine. She drives. She functions. She doesn't need that kind of intervention. Well, Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to back away. And I said, if and when you are ready for my help, I will be glad to give it to you. But Mm -hmm. this was one, what I saw as one of the earlier stages of of Alzheimer's, because a lot of times it then develops in the third, fourth, fifth stage into, into more serious, you know, cognitive issues. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is such a process. Um, and it can be so debilitating. Do you see um, do you see people not wanting to move or even try to tackle this because they're they're worried that other people will know and maybe they've kept it hidden? Um, oh, absolutely, absolutely. People, especially with all the TV and everything, people have become embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. And as you said in the stats, everybody know someone probably who is a hoarder mm-hmm. you know the stats show that that out of every hundred people two to four of them are hoarders at some level so mm-hmm. it's pretty common it's pretty yep. common there's a, a a gal who lives in my condo who will not let anybody into into her apartment mm-hmm. and i happen to know why but she's not at a stage where she wants to do anything about it so sometimes you almost have to just be patient because mm-hmm. some people aren't ready for the intervention that they need. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, and like any other and it doesn't intervention. Cure itself. Yeah, like any yeah. other intervention, if someone's not ready to receive help, it it's not gonna help. Um, it can actually sometimes make it even even worse and, and have people pull back um even further. Have you seen in families. I'll use, you know, my mom and dad. My dad, I would say, wasn't a hoarder. You know, he really wasn't attached to things, but my mom was very much attached to things. Do you run into, like, where the whole family's hoarding? And so even, like, if the kids, let's say it's a parent, and they have to sell the house, but now the kids are pulled in, but they themselves are hoarders and don't understand why why it can't be oh, absolutely. like that or <laughs> absolutely and and you know the sense is well here's all my stuff if my stuff is here I will be safe mm-hmm. and that's not always true I mean you know a lot of a lot of the times when I see hoarders they are also in economic situations where they have to sell the house mm-hmm. because and that's where the dysfunctionality comes in they they weren't able to make their mortgage payments. They weren't able to keep their job, et cetera. So the kids are affected too by it, but that's the situation where there are other things impacting it and have to be resolved and will be resolved 
one way or another because of the law and finances and health and et cetera. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of a a cluster a cluster of issues that have to be dealt with. Well, and like you said, when economics come into play, they're thinking, I can't do this myself, but I can't afford a dumpster. I can't afford this or that. So they just keep going kind of in denial, not knowing that some of that stuff can be worked out at closing in terms of payments and, and you know, that there's there's different ways around that, or maybe they can take out a a loan to get them through because of their equity position or, I mean, there's all different types of um, ways and there's and there's people that can help. I think a lot of a lot of them probably think, well, who the heck's going to come help me? You know, because well, they yes, feel like they're all alone and no one else does this. And 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 I say to them, you have to involve a plan. The main mm-hmm. thing I push is, in every instance, there has to be a plan. You have to involve the adult children. You have to involve possibly the neighbors, possibly some friends, um, legal help, medical help, uh, social workers. We, I see this sometimes because I work with Adult Protective Services where they're called in because somebody has made a complaint about the person. And then they call the social workers, and then the social workers reach out to me because I come in as a counselor. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big issue. Big issue yep. with a lot of components to it. Yeah. Do you work like with with guardianships and things too? Because I've had, um, and again, I'm I'm speaking old school from when I used to sell, but um, even even guardians, uh, a lot of times, I found weren't addressing the issue early on. But a lot of them didn't get the guardianships until later, on uh, and said, okay, this has to change. This this isn't a safe place for them to live, and and things have to. You know, we got to plow through all of this stuff and, and well, figure and out. Well, and it's interesting you bring that up because one of the things I, I'm working on now um, is that I'm working with my local board of realtors to develop some guidelines mm-hmm. for real estate agents. When you come in and you see these things, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's going to be a resource where we're going to, and I write about this, where realtors are alerted to what's going on so that they're not completely overwhelmed when they just walk in there. And so they, they have some things that they can build on and some sense mm-hmm. of what's the next step. What's yep. the next step? Yeah. Cause it is and, complicated. Uh, it's very complicated. And, and I just really advise people don't clean it up and think it's going to go away because it doesn't, that is mm-hmm. to do it. You have to deal with the psychological reasons why this is happening and get those people some help with that so that you can move on. And always there's like other issues going on too. It's not, oh, this is just a hoarder. It's a mm-hmm. hoarder. This is depression. This is isolation. This is um, not wanting to move, feeling unsuccessful, et cetera, et cetera. There there are a lot of dimensions that go into it, and everyone, whether it's a family member, shouldn't make quick judgments, you know, because mm-hmm. it takes a while to get through this. It takes a while. Well, and hoarding, I would imagine, is a habit, and habits are, as we all know, hard to break. And so just because you've cleaned it up and it looks fine doesn't mean that habit doesn't still exist within somebody and that that emotional need isn't there for for why they're doing it in the first place. So, yeah, I totally, totally agree with you 
um, on that. I think that that can be a just kind of a hornet's nest. And I think also with families, and let me know if you saw this, but I know I did. Families were really upset because it was like, oh, my God, not only do I have to sell the house, but now I have to deal. You know, all my friends are selling their parents' homes or doing whatever, and but now I have this huge thing on top of this. And th there can be resentment and anger and frustration because their lives are so busy. And, and they're not an expert in this area. And I think that's why it's so important to find an agent that deals with this because not all agents are going to be good at helping you through this process. And that's well, my I remembered, yeah, I remembered the first time I had ever seen hoarding. I was working as a realtor um, up in Connecticut and an attorney called me in an estate where the husband had passed away and the girlfriend was, they were older people were still living in the house, even though the husband had passed and I had never seen true hoarding until I walked in there. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that it was shocking to me, just shocking. Um, the woman was hoarding birds. Mm -hmm. So the entire house was filled with birds in cages. And you can imagine the sanitary conditions under that. And at the time, I was much younger. And it was just so shocking to me, I didn't even know where to begin. Mm -hmm. You know, so that was the beginning of saying, hey, and, you know, this is affecting other people. And that's where I first became aware of it. And I realized I walked in, I was shocked. And I think mm -hmm. that's the impression and the sense that a lot of people, not just real estate agents, but family members, friends, they walk in and they, it's just too overwhelming. You don't know what to do about it. And it, it, because it's not sanitary, you're frightened. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's some frightening aspects of all. So hopefully with more and more awareness and people understanding, uh, we'll be able to get this somewhat under control. Mm -hmm. for you know, you, you brought up birds because a lot of times people don't even realize, you know, the different types of hoarding. And, you know, you said they were all in cages. I've seen them where they're loose in the house and pooping all over the place as well. And then you have some yep. people that... You know, you, ha you have the, the lingo of, oh, that's the cat lady because she's the neighbor who picks up all the stray cats. And, you know, you can have 10 to hundreds of cats sometimes in a house um, or, or dogs um, inside or outside, plus the possessions. And now you had told me there's a new thing with, with hoarding of, you know, electronics and um and just emails and um I, I mean it's it's kind of endless of what can be hoarded and what people what can, can be collected can, well yeah exactly exactly also, i i think especially sitting in our houses or being you know restricted during covid i think hoarding has become more prevalent and i think the mm -hmm. whole issue of cyber hoarding which you and i had been discussing earlier uh people aren't getting rid of their emails they're mm -hmm. reading articles, they're saving them, and it sounds minor, but you get to the point where maybe you have thousands of emails on your computer, and mm -hmm. that will eventually interfere with you using your computer and the functioning of it. So that mm -hmm. fits the description of when when is hoarding interfering with your life. Mm -hmm. and, yep. Yep. And then well, we and talk I... about also people... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Lloyd. I'm sorry. I, 
I was just going to say, as, you know, if you look at my emails, I have thousands of them, but I do have them filed, and they're in there for business. <laughs> but but I do get a lot of crap emails too that I really should be deleting and you know blocking and and subscribe you know unsubscribing, which they don't always take off either. Um, so you know it's but I know exactly what you're talking about um, and being able to be on top of it or, you know, is it really causing, causing issues? Um, you were going to, you were going to say something else, Anne. I'm sorry. I was talking about sometimes I've seen people who hoard wine, for example, mm-hmm. you know, they think they're a wine collector. And when we actually get around to cleaning the house out or they a lot of this wine is expired. It's, it's not any good anymore. So it's not mm-hmm. even that they're necessarily hoarding things that have any value at all. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the stuff should just should, should just have been gotten rid of. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and it can start hoarding and start as early as the teen years. From yep. you know, I don't think I've seen. I've got one now where the kids have become hoarders. I think they learned it from mom and dad. Um, but most of the time I see it occurring as people reach, reach into their senior years. That's where it becomes the most prevalent, at least up mm-hmm. to now, that's the way it's been. Yeah. So I, used to laugh, um, I used to laugh when I'd open up my like spice cabinet and I didn't know back in the day that there was expirations on spices, but my mom never taught me that. <laughs> and I learned that. I'm like, oh my gosh, this has been moving with me forever. You know, I have to get rid of that. But it's, that's right. But it's but it's that's it's right. hearing that, learning that, taking it in, and then taking action. You know, to do that. And probably, if you looked at my cupboard today, I still probably have a few in there that are expired. But um, you know, when I grew up, that was just never a thing. I think probably because we didn't have all that much, and so we just went through everything all the time and um, and stuff. So we didn't have the Sams and <laughs> and the Costco's where we would find big wads. Well, of, I'm, I'm actually wondering. I think people are beginning to sh- to be um, shopping hoarders too. I think with all this, the internet and being stuck at home. I think mm-hmm. people are just shopping online beyond belief, and I don't know what they're doing with all the stuff they're they're buying, but mm-hmm. you can't go out anymore, so you're shopping. I saw a little girl the other day who had an entire cart full of packages that she was taking up to her condo where she lives with her mother, and she said, I, mean, I don't know why my mom keeps buying all this stuff. Yep. And I just yep. kind of smiled. I didn't want to say anything, but that... That's an example of what we're talking about. Not things she needed, but things she felt a psychological need for. Well, and my mom, she would she would see something she liked, and then she'd buy it for everybody in the family. You know, (laughs) and like we didn't all really want a bell collection, you know, or or whatever. Um, But you know, that's kind of how she would purchase stuff. And again, it was older, and it probably was. Um, even though she lived with dementia 30 years that we know about, um, there were probably some signs earlier with her as well. But, but I hear a lot of people, you know, they can't sleep at night, so then they're up watching, you know, the shopping network and ordering stuff. That's right. That's and, right. Um, and I, I've heard more complaints on that from people going, oh, my gosh, you know, my spouse or my parents or my friend, it's like, what is with this? And 
You know, when you're up and, and well, you're alone and there's no one to talk to, that's their go-to, I guess. Well, if, if I can share another, yeah, a kind of interesting thing. I was giving a, a speech, um, a lecture about on hoarding, and I like to involve the, the audience in it because usually they're there for a reason, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and one woman, she raised her hand, lovely gal, and she said, yes, she, she was an obsessive shopper. Mm-hmm. So one day she decided she would donate everything to charity. Mm-hmm. So she put it all in her car, clothes, whatever she had been buying, and she took it down to Goodwill. And then she said this in front of a room of 60, maybe 60, 70 people in it. She said, but what happened is she got home and she had an anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. And she was fully aware of what was happening. She had this anxiety attack. And so she went back to the Goodwill and bought her things back. Oh, wow. Some of them had, yeah, and she was so cute. She looked around the room, and, of course, everybody at this point is kind of gasping a little bit, and she got this cute little smile on her face, and she said, you see, don't worry if that happens. You can shop again. (laughs) (laughs) That's what kept her going. (laughs) Always a workaround. Always a workaround. Always a way. And she was aware of it. And I think Uh, one of the saddest kinds of hoarding that we've talked about is animal hoarding mm -hmm. because uh, those poor little critters are suffering too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and the damage that it can cause the house and to them personally. I mean, when those homes aren't clean and there's poop all over and there's mice and I mean, the the list kind of goes on and on and on. I mean, there's cause for, in my opinion, great concern with that, um, when those pets are not being maintained and, um, you know, the disease that can come from that, both That's for right. the That's animals right. and the people that live there or just visit there. Um, you know, I, I had one house where it, it was, I mean, they had to literally, like, gut the sheetrock and everything. There were so many cats in it, and then they cleaned it all out. They moved back in, and she started all in again. That is what I I was, in my mind, I was thinking she started all over again, didn't she? And she did. Yeah, because she she hadn't been. That's why it doesn't work that way. mm -hmm. And um, and so it's the whole, I mean, they had to get not to the point that they did the first time, but they still had a lot of gutting to do, you know, um, I mean, down to the boards and some of even the the studs and stuff had to be replaced. Um, And the you know, the concrete floors had to be cleaned and sprayed and sealed. And yep. I mean, it was really something. I mean, it burnt your eyes going into the house. And even after well, it was done, um, you know, I, you know, how you do kind of a preview for the agents. I had agents come in and go, I can't even come in. And my eyes are burning because they were just allergic to the cats. And they could tell even before they walked in the door, you know, for some. And then yeah. other people didn't smell it at all. And, um, well, what, you know, oh, go ahead. It's, it's, well, what I was going to say, what I have done now is I have, um, in those cases, a lot of times, I, especially if the people are selling the house, mm-hmm. I sell the house as is. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and then the investors come in and buy these properties and they take over 
you know, you make a transition, you let the people move out with the things that they feel they want to take with them. And the Mm -hmm. rest of it, you close the door and you bring in the investors and they clear the place out and then they work with that. But one, one thing I want to alert people on, if you are dealing with a situation like that, when the house gets to that shape, there will be strong monetary problems with it because something like this, it decreases incredibly the value of the house, plus the fact it's impossible to show the house. So mm-hmm. you're really, there's a financial, there's a financial loss here too. It's more mm-hmm. than just the hoarding. It's, it's the fact that they've destroyed a property yeah. and it's not really marketable, marketable, you know, in a safe environment. Yeah. And yeah. I just sold one where they had to buy it. They could look at the floor plan. They could look at the pictures, but nobody was permitted in the house. Mm-hmm. It was just during COVID. It was just in the house was a disaster and we just couldn't take a risk. And it didn't matter because there's such a housing shortage now. People were lined up to to buy it or offer to buy it anyhow. But you have to work out how it works. It's not it's not just clean it out and put it on the market. Yep. Yeah. So, well, we've got just a little under um, seven minutes left. This hour just kind of blows by um, all the time. A lot Can of you talking feel- about hoarding, Lori. Yeah. I know. I know. There's lots of examples. You told me Can- that. Mm-hmm. Can you give us um, an example of a successful transition that um, that you'd like to share where, you know, the the person who was hoarding was was glad this was kind of resolved and addressed? Wow. That's an interesting way to put it because a lot of times um, the transition is such that the people that make the transition are not usually the ones that are going to give you accolades. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, you'll, you'll remember from real estate where after you do a sale, then then the the agency asks, the sellers and the buyers to rate, to rate the agent. Mm-hmm. You know, how did this agent do? Well, in the company that I'm with, uh, what what my manager and I worked out is nobody gets a recommendation. Nobody has to put a recommendation on for me because a lot of times the people that I helped move and I worked with their, their adult kids or a brother or a sister or whatever, they're not happy with me at the end. Mm-hmm. They're not yep thanking me for for saving them they're they're angry because there was a sense of loss and yep. in some ways I get blamed for it sometimes yep. so mm-hmm. I've had to develop kind of a strong a tr- strong sense of self to know that they're really not angry at me they're angry at the situation and the fact that they were isolated from their objects and transitioned and even though they're safer and better they're not necessarily happy about it yeah, you know. It's, well, and I appreciate so, that honest answer too, because I think that that's really important. Um, you know, if someone has a, a lifestyle of this, it's not going to change over a few months in terms of the whole process. And like you said, a lot of times there's other issues at hand um, that that um, that come into play with this, if it's depression, if it's dementia, if it's whatever it might be, um, if it's the sense of loss, because I, I know some people just have, they've collected 
everyone else's stuff in the family as they've passed on and they don't know how to process that. They've never really grieved and processed all of that. And so then you have layers and layers of grief. That's right. You know, it's a psychological issue is really what, what it gets down to. And I, this is a story. It's about dementia and transition. Uh, sort of about hoarding, but it's going to make a point. I have that robotic dog that I take with me sometimes to see my clients, my senior Mm -hmm. clients. It's a dog that wags its tail and you can talk to it and it barks. You go Fido bark and it makes, you know, it's all voice triggered. Mm -hmm. And I went into a house, lovely condo. The woman was there with an aide and the husband was there. And he had Mm -hmm. called us in because he thought it was time to move his wife, they were having problems. They wanted to sell, to sell the house, and she didn't want to leave, et cetera, et cetera. So while I was talking to them, he loved the dog. He was playing with the robotic dog. She looked over at me. She hadn't said much, and she said to me, "I don't like your dog. Get it out of here." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think she was talking about the dog. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. You know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, people are not, you know, don't think you're going to help someone like that and you're necessarily going to be a hero. It doesn't always work that way. You know, my mm-hmm. satisfaction comes from knowing that, that I have made someone's life better, even though don't, they don't like the fact that I did it. Yeah, better and, and safer. The tripping hazards alone in some of these homes is just, I, I would go in and go, I, I can't believe someone hasn't broken a hip you know, um, and and fallen um, or had some kind of accident pulling something down, you know, with so much stuff at times. So kudos for you um, knowing that it is the right thing to do and, it and you know, it has to get processed and, and not taking it personal. And I want to make sure that we give people your contact information um, so they can email you at Ann, and that's A-N-N dot Meyerson. M-E-Y-E-R-S-O-N-1 at gmail.com. And you are located down in Boca Raton, Florida, but you deal with people all over and can refer them to other agents that understand this specialty. Because, again, I think it's really important that you connect to somebody who understands these needs because they're not the everyday sale of a house by any stretch. Um, no, and... Sometimes, you know, there isn't a sale there for me, but there is a healthy transition, which which is payback itself, mm-hmm. um, you know. And if people want to contact me, I have a network of real estate agents, and I'm working on this, my network of agents who have the senior real estate specialist credentials. So they've mm-hmm. done some training, and I'm working on training programs for, I mentioned, for realtors now so that I can refer them. Suppose they're calling me from California, and here I am in in Florida, but I can refer them to my network of people who can probably help them in the same way that I would. To Mm -hmm. to some extent, they're aware of it and and what's involved in it. And it's um, the the realtors are actually pretty excited about this because they see that it's a need that hasn't been addressed, and we're actually talking about working on a course to train realtors to be able to deal with these issues. Fantastic. So pretty exciting. 
Yeah, well, good. pretty exciting. And I encourage people, reach out to me if you need some help. I can be a resource. I can be okay. a resource. That's part of what I want to do. And I really appreciate um, having the time to talk about issue with you because I, I feel like you do that it's pretty important. Pretty important. Right. Well, thank you so much. And to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this show and picked up a few tips. And don't forget to reach out to Anne. Her contact information is there. Like, click, and share this because there's other people out there that need her help. We'll talk to you soon. Everybody knows a hoarder. That's right. Everybody knows a hoarder. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.